This is a Diet of Brussels. It's part of the UK and a Changing Europe's annual conference uh, held on the 10th of June uh, in London. Uh, we had a number of uh, keynotes. This is uh, the third one of the day. Uh, you can listen to the other two uh, on our SoundCloud page or on www.adiatofbrussels.com. This third uh, keynote wasn't a partisan one. It was from uh, one of the fellows on the uh, program, uh, Professor John Curtis from Strathclyde, who's talking here about what the public opinion data tell us. Uh, thank you very much, Sarah, for that uh, generous introduction. Um, Johan and Willeband this morning. You've got Ian Duncan Smith this afternoon. Doubtless, they, between them, will tell you two different tales about what this referendum is about. So we thought it might be quite a good idea to give you some idea as to what the folk who will actually decide the outcome of this referendum, the voters, actually think what it's all about. Um, there are four parts to this talk. Um, one part is much meatier than the rest is really what I wonder what to focus on. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the state of the referendum, quote, race unquote. You'll see the reasons for the quotation marks in a moment. Um, but I don't intend to spend hours arguing speculatively about who's ahead and which polls are right. Um, the second bit, which is what I want to focus on particularly, because this is the question of what is the referendum all about for voters, is to look at well, what are the social and ideological divisions that underlie this referendum. Who are the voters who are more likely to vote for Remain and for Leave? What are the key arguments that appear to incline them in one direction or another? And in a sense, therefore, to discover well, what really is this referendum about? What questions actually is, is, is Britain settling beyond the particular uh, wording on the ballot paper? Having then talked about that, I need to talk a little bit about the geography of the referendum. Um, that's the point where Scotland kicks in, um, and also a little bit about the politics of it, the implications of political parties. And then, as it were, coming towards the end, kind of thinking forward a little bit about what might happen in the two weeks or so that are left, just talking about the prospects for who's going to turn out on the day, and the question of whether or not at the end of the day, risk-averse voters will decide that maybe it's better to hang on to the nurse whose medicine they've already tasted, as opposed to taking something from the doctor from whom they've not currently had any interaction. Anyway, okay. Um, this is one of the uh, things you can find on the website. This is literally a graphical representation of the uh, now 140-odd published opinion polls of voting intentions in the referendum that have taken place since last September when uh, the, the Government and the Electoral Commission agreed on the referendum question. Um, few characteristics of this to take on board. If you haven't got it, the blue line is remain and the green line is leave. The first thing you should note is that clearly in more polls than not, the blue line is above the green line. Remain are ahead. I should say, by the way, in this and in everything else I'm going to present you with, the don't knows are taken out. 
Uh, in other words, we're now really looking at what the polls are actually anticipating as to what the outcome of the referendum might be now, <coughs> and uh, ignoring the fact that some people don't know. This is simply the standard practice in, in general elections, and I never understand when it comes to referendums. People just don't do the same thing. Um, if you look at the, uh, the, the chart a little more carefully, you might remind you a little bit of the um, printout of a heart patient who's in a wee bit of trouble. <laughs> there are occasional flickers of life, and then apparently it's all gone again. The flickers of life, and I should say you should not read any partisan implications into this, the flickers of life are the telephone poles. Because one of the things that we know about this referendum is that the telephone polls have tended to put uh, the uh, uh, Remain site further ahead. I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. So all of a sudden we get these big leads for, for Remain. And they disappear again. And indeed, what of course you will notice, you know, if I were to get a statistician, but I don't need a statistician, if so I get a statistician and say, please draw me the best straight line that summarise this as data, he will say, I don't need a computer to do that. I simply draw a straight line parallel to the horizontal axis, and it's absolutely flat. In other words, the remarkable thing about this referendum, leaving aside the uncertainty created by the opinion polls, because they can't quite agree, but the remarkable thing apparently about this referendum is that actually, virtually nothing has happened to the balance of opinion which is certainly a bit of a problem for journalists. <laughs> it occasionally gets the city traders into a lather when all of a sudden opinion polls seem to be saying something different. And shall we say for those of us who are trying to write a website and write the odd occasional thousand words, it can also be a bit of a problem too, but there we go. Mm. Now, even if we smooth out the data, and uh, this is one of the things I've been doing, just running a running average of the last six opinion polls, Again, you kind of see when occasionally it kind of widens and then it narrows again, but there is absolutely no trend. And indeed, if you actually look at now the two kinds of polls <coughs> separately, so the blue bars show you the percentage share for remain, taking out the don't knows, and the, and the percentage to remain in the telephone polls. So the don't knows taken out, leave it's there for 100 minus whatever figure is there. And the orange lines, assuming you're orange or dark red or whatever you want to look at it, it's orange in front of me and it's red there. Um, the, those are the figures for remain on average in the phone polls. And I simply divided the referendum into four periods. The first is the period up to the conclusion of the renegotiation of Britain's terms of membership. The second is the period from then through to the end of March. Then you've got April. And then you've got all the polls since the beginning of May. The first thing to know is the internet polls have said it's been 50-50 absolutely consistently all the way through the referendum. Nothing has changed, apparently, according to them. Now, the early phone polls were particularly fatal to remain, but as I showed you, there were many of those. Since the renegotiation, essentially, they said, you know, it's 55-45. But they also said it's only 55-45. One conclusion we should certainly take away from is that the renegotiation by David Cameron of the EU's terms of membership was a political failure. Cameron hoped to repeat the trick 
that Harold Wilson pulled off back in 1975, the last time we went through this whole process, go to Brussels, come back with a piece of paper, say I've renegotiated terms of membership, and public opinion shifts very strongly in your favour. Trouble was this time, of course, there were a lot of bunch of MPs out there who went, uh-uh, no, 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 we've not changed anything. So therefore, conservative voters did not get the consistent signal from that party leadership that actually they should now be in favour remain despite their scepticism and therefore as a result we are left with a referendum whichever polls you believe is looks as though it's going to be much narrower than was ever intended. Now of course in the last week or so having had a couple of weeks of have remained finally pulled ahead has £4,300 worse off finally worked and that kind of died we've had ah has now the fact that the Lib Perda reentered Perda, has the fact that the Lib side now has some ability to control the agenda, has that made a difference? And indeed, we've had a couple of opinion polls which have actually given the Lib side just record leads. Well, the honest truth is, maybe, maybe not, but we really can't be very sure. Um, before Perda, the polls were still saying 50 50, so I 59, I should say 50. What people are saying 50? Now they kind of say, oh, if you take the average of all the internet polls since Perda, it's 49 for Remain, 51 for Lee. It's a very small movement. And the truth is, we've not had enough in the way of telephone polls since then for us to be sure that actually anything is going on at all. So maybe there's been a bit of movement, maybe Lee have made a bit of ground, but in truth, that's all we can say. If you believe the internet polls, it's still close. And of course, if you believe the phone polls, there has been a 1% movement, the Remain side are still ahead. What, however, is true, and has undoubtedly changed the psychology of the campaign, is the fact that telephone polls have become more numerous. Back in the early days, this is to simply show you the number of polls that were done by phone and the number of polls that were done by the internet. As you can see, early on, it was virtually all internet, just the odd phone poll which I showed you earlier, showed Remain well ahead. But gradually, the ratio has been changing. Almost undoubtedly, one of the reasons why for much of late April, May, people were saying, oh, Remain have pulled ahead. It's not actually Remain have pulled ahead. There were just simply more telephone polls being conducted. People just get the headlines. They get a sequence of headlines saying Remain 55, Lee 45, all words to that effect. And therefore, the psychology of the campaign is, is affected. Now, whether or not this reveals a nervousness amongst those who pay for opinion polls about the message of the internet polls is an interesting question. And are they therefore willing to spend the more money it costs to do a phone poll as a result? It's also true, by the way, that's quite a lot of methodological tweaking going on, so I don't want to go into detail. Much of it with the effect of pushing Remain up and it can be argued that the fact that the polls have not moved in recent weeks, despite those methodological tweaks, can be regarded as further evidence that perhaps Leave are doing more than better than people think. Now, to anticipate one question, which to be honest, I'm happy to do in Q&A, but I'm not really going to get into now because it's rather geeky. Which polls do we believe, phone or internet? I think the honest answer is nobody can be sure. There have been various attempts to try to get to the bottom as to why this difference is arising. And nobody, frankly, has fully nailed it down. Uh, best guidance I can give you, and it is kind of, you know, slightly tangential, is that the phone polls underestimated UKIP in last year's general election. 
the internet polls overestimated it. So maybe the answer is somewhere in between. Okay, I want to move on now to the second part. So the referendum race, well, no race, nobody's moving. Right? It's two tortoises trying desperately to make progress, <laughs> neither succeeding. It's a race where we're not quite sure where the two tortoises are on the field. We keep on having to look around to try to find them, get our torch on and see where they are. But beyond that, what is clear, as I hope to show you, and it doesn't matter what kind of polls we're looking at, is that this is a referendum where there are, we are looking at some pretty major social and ideological differences between different sections of the public. And just to kind of give you the headline of what I'm going to say, what we are really seeing here, I think, is a referendum in which Britain decides its attitudes towards globalization, of which the European Union is a primary organizational phenomenon. Okay, let's take it in stages. First of all, who's in favor and who's against? Absolutely consistent finding across all opinion polls, all surveys, is that younger people are inclined to vote to remain, 18 to 24, as you can see here, something between 70 and 75% in recent weeks. The 65 pluses are apparently determined to vote against. Big irony, of course. Those who, like myself, I have to admit, are old enough to have voted in the 1975 referendum have apparently changed their minds. The folk for whom this has always been a part of their life are apparently saying, of course, it's simply part of the furniture. So there's a big, big age difference. Really big. Second is, there's, a, there's another dimension to this. Now, it can be described as a social class difference. So here I'm taking some of these opinion polls. I'm using the social grade classification that pollsters regularly use in order to um, adapt differentiate between the kind of middle class and the working class. So if you go from left to right here, you're going for more middle class to working class. And as you see, as you go from left to right, as you go from more middle class to more working class, so support for Remain is lower and support for Leave is higher. But the truth is, this is not primarily about social class. It's primarily about educational background. University graduates wish to stay. Overwhelmingly. Those folk who have little, if anything, in the way of educational qualifications want to get out. <coughs> and as you can see, if you compare the two diagrams here, the diff differences are evident, but they're not as sharp as they are in this data from YouGov. Another data on educational background show the same thing. So this is a <coughs> referendum where, above all, there's a difference by age and there's a difference by educational background. We know from, as Sarah mentioned earlier, many years of social attitudes research that education and age are associated with how socially liberal or how socially conservative you are. This is a referendum, as I'm going to show you, is not about the left-right of politics. It's about the liberal versus the authoritarian end of politics, the second dimension of politics. I should mention, I should perhaps have done a slide on this, the British election study, I've shown also very neatly that those from ethnic minority background are also much keener on remaining than are those from a white background. And so that's another uh, division that's there. And obviously, it's 
a smaller population that involves. Okay. Um, what are the issues that lie behind this referendum? How do people view the consequences of leaving and remaining? Now, the truth is, there's an awful lot of opinion polls out that say, do you trust Boris Johnson? Do you trust David Cameron? Do you trust Nicola Sturgeon? Do you trust whoever, Jeremy Corbyn? To which, of course, the answer is always universally no. And why they bother to take these polls, I don't quite know. Um, <laughs> Of course, being a boring social scientist, what I'm interested in much more is, hang on, what's the relationship between people's views about the consequences of independence, i.e. the issues at stake in this referendum, versus uh, the, the, the prospects of remaining. And YouGov have been very nicely, regularly asking people, pretty regularly, what do you think would happen? And this begins to show you how we are looking at an electorate which is conflicted about this issue. This is a referendum where Remain has arguments that many a voter agree on, and, many, and also the Leave side has arguments that many a voter agrees with. They've more roughly ordered them from left to right. So more people think that our influence in the world will be reduced if we left the United Kingdom than if we stay. More people think that it would be bad for jobs if we left than if we stayed. More people think the economy is going to be worse off if we leave than if we stay. Um, though we're not quite sure it's going to affect our personal finances. So the economy, together with influence in the world, is undoubtedly a remain issue. Though notice, it's only a plurality <coughs> that think we're going to be worse off, not a majority. Interestingly, the issue of security, and I think this is one of the strategic mistakes the Remain campaign have made, they've always assumed the argument about being more secure inside the EU would work to their advantage. It just doesn't advantage anybody. Most people just say, you must be joking that whether or not we're inside the European Union is going to affect the position on terrorism. Here there are then clearly two arguments that work in Lee's favour. Now, why is the Remain side so upset about the 350 million on Boris's bus? Because it's hitting home. People actually are inclined to believe that there will be more money to spend on the NHS if we leave the European Union. But of course, above all, what a majority of people believe is that immigration will be lower if we leave the European Union. And this, above all, is the crucial motivating factor behind the Remain side. There's one issue here, over which um, YouGov's data don't quite capture, which are not dissimilar series from ORB uh, capture, um, uh, which is also worth looking at. Again, ORB, they're asking, they ask people, who, which campaign do you think is more likely to be associated with Britain having more influence, a stronger economy, etc. And again, you can see, for the most part, a fairly similar picture. The economic argument is with Remain. The immigration argument is with Leave. But also notice, if you want to know why every single time Andrea Lindstrom and um, Gisela Stewart and Boris Johnson, virtually every time last night, every time when Michael Gove was on Skype on the Sky program, said, we want to take back control, there's your answer. People are inclined to believe that if we leave the European Union, they will have more control over their lives. 
So the issue of sovereignty is also something in England and Wales, at least, I'll come back to this later on, is something that works to the leave side advantage. But again, you can see this is an electorate that is conflicted. They think that half of what Remain say is correct and half of what Leave say is correct. Therefore, unsurprisingly perhaps, that they end up somewhere in the middle. Um, however, there of course is a counter side to that and, a, and a potentially a problem for the Remain side. <coughs> is that actually quite a lot of people are going to vote for Remain, or say they're going to vote for Remain, even though they agree with the Leave side on the immigration issue. Whereas virtually everybody who thinks the economy is going to be worse is voting for Remain. So as you can see that, amongst those people who think the economy will be worse if we leave, 78% say they're going to vote for Remain. All right? um, but I, I, and on the Leave side, it's not actually they think the economy is going to be better, they're doing this. They're going, I think it just won't make any difference. But Leave voters are not really convinced that an economic miracle is going to happen tomorrow if we leave. On immigration, however, Leave voters absolutely, yeah, yeah, immigration will be low. And quite a lot of Remain voters agree with them, but they're going to vote for them despite. So the problem for the Leave side is that you know, the, people's economic perceptions pretty much do kick in. And if, if people have a clear view on the economic consequences, then it's pretty clear what they're going to do. Um, immigration, however, doesn't necessarily make you a Leave voter. And if the Leave side are going to win this referendum, they're going to have to persuade more voters to go with their feelings about immigration than are currently succeeding in doing so. Um, this, of course, is then also to be found in that social division that I was talking about. <coughs> Younger voters are inclined to think the economy will be worse if we leave. Older voters go, it might just be alright. Those from a university background go, it's going to be worse. Those with no more than the GCSE to their name go, it probably won't make much difference, it might even be slightly better. So that demographic difference is mirrored in a different expectation of what would happen. They don't differ quite so much in their expectations of immigration. Yeah, we've got again, you can see how even amongst those who are inclined towards Remain, there are doubts about immigration. But of course, what really begins to kick in is when you start asking them about whether or not the current level of immigration from the EU is too high or not, then the social division really kicks in. <coughs> Young people much more comfortable with the current level than their older people. Those from the university back, no, there's still quite a lot of them out there, going to be nice and fewer, fewer, uh, fewer people coming in, but clearly having a different perspective. These perceptions are also apparently very firmly embedded in the electorate. They've not changed very much. Here's one example. This is YouGov's data on whether or not we put, will be better or worse. So I've shown you the endpoints already. Um, it's moved a little, but not very much. I mean, basically, the percentage of people who think we'll be worse off is just managed to crawl back up to where it was back last autumn. It's true, however, that the percentage of people who think we'll be better off has been slipping a little bit, but it, 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 it's, it's not major. Meanwhile, on immigration, we've long felt that immigration would be lower if we left the European Union, and if anything, that perception has grown uh, to a degree. But again, 
the broad picture. This is a picture and impressions that the electorate seem to have formed months, perhaps years ago, and are thus, perhaps, that's the reason to understand why they're proving so difficult to persuade to change their minds. So what we're then looking at, therefore, is seemingly, in many respects, a referendum which, for voters, is on the one hand a section of British society who is stereotypically the young university graduate who probably works alongside somebody from the Czech Republic or Poland or France or whatever. They quite enjoy it. Maybe they're in the city involved in international markets anyway. And of course, they've got the linguistic skills that they can actually think about going to Berlin or Barcelona to work themselves. These are the winners of globalization, or at least those who perceive themselves as the winners. <laughs> Other end of the spectrum, you have, for example, a hotel porter in Margate who has very little in the way of educational qualifications. He no longer understands what the cleaning staff in this hotel say to each other. He used to enjoy a barley at 11 o'clock coffee break with them. He used to be Polish to each other. He's culturally isolated. He's culturally uncomfortable. And by the way, he's not, a pay, he's not had a pay rise for the last five years. And he reckons he knows why that's the case too, because it's too easy for the hotel management to find somebody else to do his job. So I think this is the division that we are seeing. So in part, supposedly this is about whether the UK should be a member of an intergovernmental organization. But at its heart, we are talking in a debate about the kind of society Britain is and should be, and arguably it's a more profound debate than we have in most general elections. Okay, now, there's another division that we should talk about, and it's about geography, and that is that Scotland is different. One of the paradoxes of this referendum is that those parts of the UK that 40 years ago were not too keen on the common market are now the ones who are apparently keenest, and those who are uh, who voted most strongly in favour are now the most doubtful. Scotland uh, uh, did not vote very strongly in favour in 1975. It now looks as though, again, it bumps up and dies, whether it's an internet or phone or whatever. But on average, Scotland is two to one in favour. Equally, in Northern Ireland, but only voted narrowly in favour of staying back in 1975, looks to be about three to two in favour. Why? because the debate in Scotland and in Northern Ireland has been framed completely differently from the way it is in England and Wales. I've already shown you, yes, most of the UK, the argument about sovereignty is about we want control back from Brussels. Brussels is regarded psychologically as other, it's regarded to those who wish to leave as a limitation on the UK's sovereignty. But in Scotland, the message from the SNP for the last 25 years, very different from the one from 40 years ago, has been being part of the European Union. It's one of the ways in which Scotland can realize our ambition to be an independent country. In other words, for the national community in Scotland, being part of the European Union is not a constraint on your nationalist aspirations. It's one of the ways in which they can be realized. And the same is also true for the nationalist community in Northern Ireland. It looks as though they're going to be overwhelmingly <coughs> in favour. 
gain the EU is up to underpin the Good Friday Agreement. It provides a measure of all Irish governments. Again, it's a framework within which the aspirations of the nationalist community in Northern Ireland look as though they're more likely to be realised. Therefore, we get this very different argument about sovereignty in these two parts of the UK. So we've got a geographical divide. We, of course, also got a major political divide. The truth is, this referendum is darn awkward for every UK political party apart from Ukip. Pretty much every Ukip voter will indeed vote to leave, though. You know, you can find the odd one in the opinion poll. Perhaps they like Nigel Farage, but maybe they like you know, Mr. Juncker as well. You know, there'll probably be a few people. <laughs> Conservative voters, on average in the opinion polls, basically divided 50-50. This is Cameron's ultimate failure. He's been unable to pull his party behind him. He is in many respects the leader of the opposition now. Because he's leading a coalition of only about one in four actual conservative voters. But you can also see Labour's problem. Okay, they're about two to one in favour. But there's about a third of Labour voters, more the working class end of Labour's vote who are going, no. And even the SNP in Scotland, again, it's only about two to one in favour. There's a minority of nationalists who go, hang on, why are we after independence and then about a bit apparently willing to sell our sovereignty <coughs> to Brussels? All leaders struggle to get their voters on side. This is a, now we've known that Europe has long been disruptive for our parties in terms of parliamentary level. This is also proving very disruptive at the voting level as well. And, you know, all of them are going to have quite both uh, repairing to do afterwards. Okay, now let me move towards the end and the prospects for the next two weeks. Now, now if I was rich, uh, uh, I would get a pound for every time a journalist round me up and said, how many don't knows are there and what are they going to do? <laughs> to which I always give the geekish answer, well it depends on how you ask the question, as to how many people out there don't know, because of course the truth is the world is not divided into two binary groups, decided and undecided. It's a spectrum upon which all of us are ranked up. Some of you in this room are clear what we're going to do. Some of you say, well, I probably know what I'm going to, but I'm not quite sure. And there may be others of you who are still wondering you're going to get enlightenment today, and good luck to you. Um, <laughs> so, um, therefore, actually the truth is the number of don't knows um, often varies quite strange. And it's, of course, also fallacious to believe that everybody who tells a pollster now that they're going to remain or leave are going to do that. I mean, after Sarah Wollaston's just told us, she certainly changed her mind, and I'm sure she's not unique in that position. Um, the truth is that campaigns can want to last not simply by getting the undecided, who are more likely to stay at home anyway at the end of the day, um, than uh, by conversion. But anyway, for what it's worth, here's I see I've done most polling. It looks as though gradually the number of don't knows has been going down. Now we've got the black line there. Though I should warn you, and this again is why I say it depends on how you ask the question, that some of the tweaks I said have introduced into their data, not least beginning to weight the data by reported propensity of voting, is also responsible for some of that decline on the right hand side. <coughs> Perhaps slightly more robust is data from Congress and from Ipsos Mori, which tend to ask people, look, you know, have you definitely decided what you're going to do, or might you change your mind? And the top folk at the top here are the ones who have definitely decided. And as you can see, it looks as though gradually as we've been going along, 
that fewer people say they might change their mind, but still enough of them potentially do. And then, of course, it still leaves the question of whether or not people actually know they've made up their mind. Who know? I'm sure Sarah Wollaston sure, had, had definitely made her mind up a few weeks ago and then discovered she hadn't made up her mind um, <laughs> after all. Um, I also get asked frequently, so who are the undecided? Which is the crucial group of people that we have to convince? Well, the answer is usually women, and I'm sorry to engage in social stereotypes here, but the truth is, in virtually every opinion poll about politics, you always get more women who say, don't know. Now, maybe they're just being more honest than men. I don't know, but it's, it's there. And you can then see that. I mean, there are slightly more women than men who say they don't know. But for example, when it comes by age, which is us with the big social divide, is that, I mean, the, the undecideds are equally common in the two groups. So it's not obvious. And there is, by the way, there's no gender gap in attitudes towards the EU. So there's no obvious potential advantage here to one side or the other in terms of the composition of the undecided. Whatever you can do, and what some pollsters do, and sometimes they include it in the numbers and sometimes they don't, is to say to the undecided, come on, they're going to put you up against the wall, they're going to put a gun to your head, and you're going to tell me whether or not actually, secretly, you're more of a remain or more of a leave. And when they do that, they do tend to find rather more people say, well, actually, I'm probably more likely to vote remain than to leave. But it's not dramatic. It's about 30% of them to 20%. The other 50% say, look, you can fire your gun, and I'm still not going to tell you. <laughs> um, and um, it's also true, as I suggested earlier, this is a group of people who, in aggregate, are less likely to go to the polling station anyway. So the actual advantage to remain of this may be there, but it may not be dramatic. But certainly that's one reason why the Remain side might think that towards the end they might make a bit of progress in the opinion polls. On the other hand, of course, there is the crucial question of who actually is going to make it to the opinion polls, uh, to, to, to the polling station. Um, and consistent finding from the opinion polls is that those who say they are going to leave are more likely to say that they will turn out to vote than are those who say they remain. If you're wondering why that number is lower than both those numbers, it's because the folk who aren't remain or leave as I do, so I really suggest to the ones who say uh, they're unlikely to turn out and vote. So about three quarters of leave voters say I'm absolutely certain to vote, whereas the figure for remain voters is only about 70% uh, or so. Um, looks as though from some further analysis I've done, this is almost undoubtedly simply a consequence of the difference in the age profile of the two groups. Certainly, one data set I had access to, very kindly from YouGov, um, you actually begin to model the data and in order to try to model who is a, somebody who's certain to vote or not, age is it, and once you've got age into your statistical model, adding whether or not they're a remain or a leave voter doesn't make any difference. So almost undoubtedly, it's simply the, the uh, social profile of the remain vote. It's one of the, and there aren't many iron rules in political science, but one of the iron rules of political science is, doesn't matter what's the election, what's the referendum, younger voters are less likely to vote. And that's just simply the problem the remain side have to live with. There's, of course, one other consideration that certainly is much talked about, and there's been various attempts to look at this by getting at the difference between the outcome of referendums, particularly referendums about major constitutional change, and that the actual, and what the opinion polls were saying beforehand. And there's a tendency, it's a tendency, it's not 100% deterministic, 
that the opinion polls seem to some degree to overestimate the appetite for change. Certainly saw that the Scottish Independence referendum, although the SI made a lot of progress in late August, early September, in the last week of the campaign, the later the opinion poll, the lower the level of support for independence. So therefore, perhaps a risk-averse electorate will indeed draw back in the end from whatever proclivities they have to vote to leave and move towards the main side. And you can see some reason why that might be the case. Although, you know, it's not overwhelming. So here, YouGov very nicely asked people how risky or safe do you think it is to remain inside the EU, how risky or safe it is to leave. More people think that leave is, is risky than think remaining is risky, but it's not overwhelming. So maybe there'll be a bit of movement on this basis, but again, maybe the Remain side would be wise not to bank too heavily on it. Okay, so this is really just what, what, what I said. Um, this has been a referendum campaign which has been extraordinarily stable. Even as voters have gradually been making up their minds and gradually firming up their views, and the number of don't has been diminishing, we're still looking at this apparently incredibly flat line with just a question mark about what's happened in the last week or so. And it's stable around somewhere not very far away from 50-50. We're just not quite sure how close to 50-50 it is. But despite that uncertainty, and whatever is the outcome, one key thing to understand about this referendum, and it, and it marks it out from the 1975 referendum where there were no arguments about immigration. This, and it's before the days of globalization, this is a referendum which we are playing out a major social division between what we might regard as the winners and losers from the globalization process. And in so doing, we are fracturing the support bases of all of our political parties in the UK. So it's a real challenge also to the political uh, system of the UK. You may may gain little amongst the undecided and perhaps from this conversion, but leave voters are committed to going to the polls, but in the end, I think this referendum is going to be settled by the answer to the economy or immigration. That, in the end, it seems for most factors, is the crucial question. <laughs>